Hi, this is Pastor Robert Blanchard from Lansing First United Methodist Church here in Lansing, Michigan. I just want to take a moment to thank you for checking out our sermon podcast. And if you want to learn more about what we do here at Lansing First, or you want to support us in our mission of going deep, reaching out, and loving Lansing, you can do so online at lansingfirst.org. Thanks. Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 8, verses 4 through 20. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice, only... You shall solemnly warn them, and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint himself And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, No, but we are determined to have a king over us, so that we also may be like other nations, and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. The word of God for the people of God. And all of God's people say thanks be to God. Author of life, we thank you for your word, and we ask that your voice would be with us so that we might hear your word and be transformed in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. During Ordinary Time this year, we are going through a series of 24 weeks of exploration through the Hebrew Bible to learn more about our own human condition God's nature, and how these two things interact with each other. 
During the first half of our series, we will see a number of promising beginnings that give way to human frailty and lead to downfall. At the midpoint, we will stop to hear the voice of God. Then, in the second half of the series, we will see how listening to God's voice redeems us from our frailty. This week, we are in our second week. We are still very much at the beginning. In our first sermon last week, we heard a warning from God to the prophet Isaiah. God had summoned Isaiah before the heavenly court because as the king of creation, God had grown weary of the disobedience of the people of Judah. This week, we're stepping further back in time. We're going past Isaiah and his prophetic call. We are going back to the end of the period of Judges and the beginning of the time of the kings. Now, maybe you already know who the judges were and what they did, but for those who might not know or might need a refresher, let's recap real quick. After the time of the Exodus, when Moses led the Hebrew people out of Egypt, he was succeeded by a leader named Joshua, who led the people in a conquest of the land of Canaan. This land under Hebrew rule would eventually become the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, and today we know roughly this same area by the names Israel and Palestine. But before it was Israel and Judah, and long, long before it was Israel and Palestine, this land was occupied by a loose confederation of the Hebrew tribes. They had no king like Egypt or Assyria, instead choosing to band together in times of crisis and live alongside one another during times of peace. It was during those times of crisis, often connected to a time of straying from the Lord, that God would lift up one of the leaders of the tribes to judge over the people. Some of these judges, like Deborah, were wise and led the people well. Other judges, like Samson, were foolish and exchanged their oaths to God for pleasures of the flesh. Eventually, during this time, there was a woman named Hannah who was the wife of Elkanah. Hannah's womb had been closed by the Lord, and she could not give birth. In her desire to have a child, she prayed at the altar in Shiloh for God to grant her a son whom she would make a Nazarite. A Nazarite, by the way, is someone set apart for holiness who is sworn to abstain from intoxicants and from cutting his hair. As she prayed, she was discovered by the priest Eli, who thought that she was drunkenly raving about. But when Hannah told Eli of her prayer, he told her that her request would be granted. In due time, Hannah did conceive and have a child named Samuel. When he was still a child, she took Samuel to live at the temple with Eli, and there Samuel heard the voice of God. The divine voice told Samuel that the house of Eli would fail because his sons were wicked. And although it scared him, Samuel told Eli what the Lord had said. And although it must have pained Eli to hear, he knew that it was true, because God had already given this news to him as well. 
And so it was that even from childhood, Samuel was known as a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. The things that God had foretold came to pass, and the line of Eli was brought to an end in battle with the Philistines. Samuel rose up as a judge over the people and led them to, the li- let, led them to liberation from the Philistine threat. When God drove the Philistines from the land in response to an offering from Samuel, Samuel then set up a stone named Ebenezer, or Stone of Help, to mark the borders of their land that had been secured with the help of God. When we sing, Here I raise my Ebenezer, in the old familiar hymn, Come, Thou Fount of Every Blessing, it is a reference to this moment of divine grace and intervention bestowed upon Israel by God through Samuel. But eventually, time did what time does, and Samuel grew old. He appointed his sons Joel and Abijah as judges over the land in his place. But his sons followed in the footsteps of the sons of Eli. They perverted justice and took bribes. So the elders of the tribes gathered together to beseech the aging prophet Samuel for a different way of doing things. Frustrated with Samuel's sons, they demanded a king to govern over them. Now this was indeed a very different way of doing things. The elders looked out at the world and saw that other peoples, other kingdoms, had set a king to rule over them. But the Hebrew people had never known a king. No one had sat over them but the Lord God. The judges and the prophets might have led people through crisis. They might have settled disputes about how to understand the laws of God. But they did not rule on their own authority. Disturbed by their request, Samuel turned to the Lord in prayer. And I don't know what kind of response Samuel expected. I don't know if he wanted God to tell the people no. I don't know if he wanted God to bless their request. But the response that he got was a resigned acceptance. The Lord said, They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up from Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. God is used to this treatment from his people. It is not the first time that he's tried to call them and they have turned away. But what choice does God have here? Would God overpower the people, force them into submission? What kind of a relationship would that be? Not one of love, not one of gratitude. God is going to let the people make their own decision, as long as Samuel tells them what they are signing up for. And what is it that the people are signing up for? They're signing up for a ruler who will send their sons to die in foreign lands 
who will use the labor of the common people to enrich himself, who will turn the resources from benefiting the common good toward fueling the machines of war, who will subject the women to work in grueling conditions, who will redistribute the wealth of the tribes to the top of society, enriching himself and his friends while the people starve and lose their homes. These will be the ways of the kings. The people will trade a divine king who empowers them, who rules with love and with justice, for a human king who will rule as human kings do by fear, exploitation, and injustice. When Samuel tells the people what has been told to him, when he tells them how their lives will be made worse if they forsake God, do you think that they change their minds? No, of course not. They say, yes, that is exactly what we want. We want a king who will be like other kings. We want a bully on our side who will stand up to all the bullies around us. It works for the other kingdoms, so why shouldn't it work for us? But the reality here is that it doesn't work for the other kingdoms around them. Sure, the other kingdoms have their day in the sun, but their glory is not forever. Assyria will cut a bloody path across the ancient Near East until they are carved from the inside out by Babylon, who in turn will be undone by the Persians who fall to the Macedonians. Egypt stands the test of time for longer than most kingdoms, but they too are undone by Alexander's conquests. Then, of course, when Alexander dies, his empire shatters into four pieces, which are largely gobbled up by the Romans and the Parthians. Meanwhile. In all of this, the Hebrew people will fight civil war after civil war and then be ground up under the heel of empire after empire. And still the wheel of time will keep turning and empires will come and go, burning bright for a time before collapsing under their own weight or being stretched too thin by rapacious dreams of expansion. Such is the way of the kingdoms of this world. They can never last forever because they are not built upon that which is eternal. They are little more than specks of dust before the king of all creation. But even after being told this, after being told what will happen, the elders of Israel still demand their king. And we ought to be careful before we judge them too harshly because we are just the same. We are prone to the same foolhardiness that makes us think we will be different. It doesn't matter that the ways of the kings have never worked for anyone else in the history of the world, we're just built different. And yes, I mean this at a communal level, but I mean it at a human individual level as well. 
how many of us have had moments in our life where we knew right from wrong, but knowingly chose the wrong thing to do? Now, maybe we picked doing the wrong thing because we just thought we wouldn't get caught and there wouldn't be consequences. Or maybe we thought that it would be okay to do the wrong thing because we thought we might get caught, but by the time the consequences rolled around, we would figure out how to deal with them. Or maybe we picked the wrong thing because we knew that we would get caught, we knew that there would be consequences, and we decided that it would be worth whatever fleeting moment of pleasure we got out of doing it. When I ask how many of us have done this, I already know that the answer is that all of us, myself included, have done these things. I don't say this as a judgment, but as an acknowledgement that each and every one of us struggles against the forces of sin as an acknowledgement that God isn't going to make our choices for us and an acknowledgement that sometimes we will make the wrong choice. We will choose the ways of the kings over the ways of the Lord. But look at where we are in this sermon series. We're in week two of 24, making the wrong choice even when we know better is not the end of the story. It's not even close to the end of the story. So, without jumping to the end of the story, let me conclude today by offering us a way to respond to this story. We know the mistakes that we have made, and we know the forgiveness that we hope for when we get caught in those mistakes. Let us be the kind of people who have empathy and compassion for those around us. Let us be slow to anger and ever ready to forgive. Let us imagine ourselves in someone else's shoes before we rush to judgment. If we can do that, then we will not only make the world a better place to live in, but we will make ourselves more faithful servants of God. Amen. Now would you please join me in prayer. God, when you speak to our hearts, let us be ready to hear. When you tug at our conscience, let us be ready to respond. Lead us in your ways so that we might know your love and your justice and be empowered for service in your kingdom. Amen.